everybody, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation, followed by the fog light prayer. Yeah, good evening, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and uh, my name is Mike Chase. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Hey, Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start that there meditation in a minute or two. Um, but before we start... Okay, please, please turn, turn off all devices that make noise. <laughs> Any Game Boys, anything that you can swipe right or left on, just go ahead and put that aside for the duration of the meeting. Uh, Anything that's going to distract others. Uh, The coffee area will be closed for this portion of the meeting. That's to minimize the distractions. But, of course, if you want to go get some coffee, please make yourself at home and just try not to distract people in your way out. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. Also, the donuts are supposed to be gone by the end of the meeting. There's an OA meeting at 8 o'clock down the road we can go to afterwards. So let's get rid of those donuts tonight. I can't hear myself. Can you turn me up just a little bit? Thanks. All right. So for the meditation, some suggestions are to focus on your breath, focus on your posture, breathe in God and breathe out self. That kind of looks like breathing through your nose. Let it just sit and percolate in your lung a little bit. And then seriously, I challenge you to try and do that consistently through the whole three minutes and you will be so relaxed. Let's take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of your day drift away. And let's ask God to help keep you focused during the study night. We're going to have some good stuff tonight. So see you guys on this side. Enjoy your time with God. Mm-hmm. 
start off with the fog light prayer. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. And we're going to start off again with our beautiful, wonderful, exotic secretary, Tanisha. Hi, my name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hey, Tanisha. Hey, Tanisha. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. By the way, if you don't have cash on you, like I don't have cash on me, it helps with my budget. Uh, We have um, the square. A swiper. The swiper. The Vimo. The Venmo. The, the Zelle. The Zelle. 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 What else? There's an E at the end. Zelle. E. It's silent. <laughs> what else do we got, Mike? That's it. That's it. All right. And that's Great. for contributions, sales. Yeah, because it actually costs money <laughs> to be up here and rent this space and 
coffee, and so on and so forth. So, and I've asked Stephen to read the recovery statement. Give it up for Stephen. All right, Stephen. Come on up. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. How you doing? I'm Stephen. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Stephen. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centered in his mind rather than in his body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Stephen. 1940-style big book sponsorship. From forward to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of Alcoholics Anonymous who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should Neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. Mike is up here to make a deal. (laughs) We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15, but some of us show up at 5.30 to help set up, 6.30 to fellowship. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. Thank you. And those who show up early get first dibs at the donuts. Ooh. We try to, like, save the good ones, but yeah, what you get? From the forward of the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From their solution, also from the book, a tremendous fact for every one of us that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out which we can absolutely agree and which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. And once again, on the anonymity, this meeting is recorded and podcast out on the Internet. So if you don't want your voice out on the Internet, just pass the mic to the person next to you. Okay. Can we have a show of hands of people joining us for the first time? Anybody's first time at this meeting? Welcome. What's your name? Hi, Grace. Hi, Eric. Hi, Virginia. Anybody else new? Great. Glad you guys are giving us welcome. We have a show of hands now of recovered alcoholics in the room. If your hand's not up, I tell you, talk to the people whose hands are up. They'll get you connected to God through the program found in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, this is an open meeting. Membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. 
Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. Did anybody, who doesn't have a book in front of you right now? We'll get you a loner. Somebody already went and grabbed their own. Good. We're all set. Everybody's got their book. This is a big book study. I suggest you bring your own book. You can write notes in it to pass some of the information you'll learn along. Begin, before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition Nothing. Tonight we're going to take a quick look at Tradition 7. Good. And doing our traditions is John, also from somewhere, and he's going to give us a, uh, his version of it. Hi, John. Come on up. I have been blessed to receive notes from Ryan, which I have gone through and I cannot make any better. So I'm just going to continue reading what he wrote. So, um, we are in Tradition 7. Um, it's 178 in the skinny book. Um, we're going to read short form and then the long form. So I'm turning to that book, right? 178, you said? Yes. Okay. In the skinny one. Oh, 562 in this book. Okay, cool. 562 in the big one, yeah. Okay. Uh, seven. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. That's the short form. Long form is the AA groups themselves ought to be fully supported by the voluntary contributions of their own members. We think that each group should, be, should soon achieve this ideal, that any public solicitation of funds using the name of Alcoholics Anonymous is highly dangerous, whether by groups, clubs, hospitals, or other outside agencies. That acceptance of large gifts from any source or, or of any or of contributions carrying any obligation, whatever is unwise. Then, too, we view with much concern those AA treasuries, too. Oh, those AA treasuries which continue beyond prudent reserves to accumulate funds for no stated AA purpose. Experience has often warned us that nothing can so surely destroy our spiritual heritage as futile despites over property, money, and authority. Um, So if you've had the opportunity to read the book Alcoholics Anonymous, you might remember reading the story in the forward to the second edition about uh, Jack Alexander article for the Saturday Evening Post about AA. To set the scene a bit, it was in 1941. Alcoholics Anonymous had just gotten a lot of publicity from the, benef- from the benefit dinner thrown by John D. Rockefeller and also from some articles in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Plain Dealer. Our membership shot up to about 2,000. From the Akron, Cleveland area, we had begun to spread into other places, Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, Washington, Baltimore, and even further west to Houston, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. There was even a group in Little Rock that had personal contact with AA and caught on solely from books and letters to the central office. This made them the first so-called mail-order groups. Their rapid growth was amazing, but with the Saturday Evening Post article approaching, the people in the central office were worried. The Little New York office was out of the was, was at the time staffed by three people, a typist, Ruth Hawk, and Bill Wilson. How could three people, <clears throat> how could three people handle thousands of frantic inquiry, inquiries they expected after this article? It was then that they realized that they had to, be, to, they had to ask the AA groups for help. So two of the alcoholic members traveled out among the AA groups to explain the need. They explained that answering these written inquiries was a necessary assistance to our 12-step work and therefore support of the central office was a definite responsibility of the AA groups. So now, understanding the situation, most groups began contributing to the Alcoholic Foundation for the central office expenses and continued to do so ever since. With this, the AA tradition of self-supporting had a, had a firm beginning. We talked a little bit last week about how money can be something that could be diverted as from, that could divert us from our primary purpose. For instance, during the early years of our fellowship, someone wanted to will $10,000 to Alcoholics Anonymous. At first, some members were were all about it. This seemed great, but it eventually resulted in endless arguments about what to do with the money. 
it seems pretty far off from the real purpose of the AA group. So it was decided that it would probably be best for AA to remain poor. This tradition is not just about money. It is, in essence, a tradition that helps AA, that helps keep AA in check with money and where it comes from. We of ourselves need to contribute to this program so that it can remain for generations to come without being in jeopardy of becoming <clears throat> something, something completely different than the, originated, than the originators wanted. That's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. In order for us, and especially me, to stay focused, we use the Big Book Study Guide. And this was written by uh, Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group with a lot of help from uh, Joe and Charlie of the Big Book Comes Alive fame. And tonight our reader is James. So join me in welcoming James up. Hi, James. Come on up. We're going to begin our study from the mid-paragraph on page three in Bill's story, uh, but we're going to begin teeing up a little sooner than that, so that's where James is going to start reading in a moment. Uh, yeah. The way this works, after James reads the book from the podium, we're going to start back at that top of the page. The answers are going to be, the, the questions are going to start at the top of the page. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified. Multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, semicolons hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is we're going to read the material once through and then redissect the information a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light in which to consider the study material. This is important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what's just read. If you have spiritual experience with this information, you are free to share. And we started something new last week. We're going to, after every paragraph, we're going to open that up for a question that went really good. Then it was pointed out to us that perhaps we should just keep that particular question to the information in relation to the 12 that we've just read out of the book. And then sharing after, then we can start bringing more personal experiences into it. So try to stay focused and short on the questions when we're going through the paragraphs. And afterwards, then we can bring it to life and how it shows up in our lives. Big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different, i.e. sponsorship, halfway house setting, please do not be offended when Mike S. cuts that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study times to show up early, get to know us a little bit. Yeah, you can never go wrong by just commenting on the page or the questions that we just answered, which brings us to the words of the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Bill W. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teachings and practice of the 12 Steps is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. This is our eighth session. It's our, sec- our second session in Bill W.'s story, and we just didn't roll the dice and say, hey, let's do Bill W.'s story. We started you know, eight weeks ago in the forwards, and we, we started in the forwards because we really, really believe it's important for new members of Alcoholics Anonymous to get an understanding of what they're getting themselves involved in. If you get involved in Alcoholics Anonymous, you should know what it is. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, in the forwards, we learn how it got started, some of the struggles we had, some of the successes, and some information that will help you understand as we get further along why it got started in the first place, which leads us to the reason from a medical point of view, and we have a chapter called... The Doctor's Opinion. The Doctor's Opinion was written by Dr. William D. Silkworth. He was the chief physician at Towns Hospital in New York, and he outlines what the disease of alcoholism is. He talks about the spiritual malady, the mental obsession, and the physical allergy to drinking, and why men and women drink. It's because we like the effect produced Mm -hmm. by alcohol, and then we go uh, into this state where we can't stop starting. And what does that look like in action? Well, we have this chapter called... Bill's story, which is going to show us the progression of alcoholism. The first page and a half, 
of Bill's story is just nothing more than just some old guy who likes to drink. It starts off with a young guy who discovers alcohol, finds out how it can and how it changes his life for the better, and then we see how it's slowly through phenomena of craving, and then once the mental mental obsession kicks in, his life starts to fall apart. Tonight we're going to pick up in an area of Bill's story where everything's running good for it. From where he sees it, he's running on all twelve cylinders. He's, he's top of the financial markets. He's got the lifestyle that he was dreaming for. And if you were to try and tell Bill W. at this point in time that he's got a drinking problem, he would have just waved you off and probably never called you over for another party. Throwing some money at you. Throwing some money. Said, no, he would not throw the money. He's going to be keeping that money. So we're going to actually tee up a little bit. We never gave money away, did we? All the time. So if we're going to be starting on page three, I'm going to have us... Um, Let's start at the top of page two. This is where Bill had just come back from war, um, and he's gung-ho to be successful, to go out there and prove to the world that he's, that he's actually this uh, amazing guy. So top of page two, what did he do? Uh, James, recovered alcoholic. Hi, James. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceived their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang, and all cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. Mm. It went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements, but my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. We gave up our position, and off we roared on a motorcycle, the sidecar stuffed with tent, blankets, and change of clothes, and three huge volumes of a financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some success at speculation, so we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair-weather friends. 
My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity. Her loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud while I started to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I had came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning, golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to cower around the exclusive course, which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one seas upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. Abruptly, in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days in Inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. It was, I was staring at an inch of the tape which bore the inscription XYZ-32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished, and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. Mm. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock, so what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old, fierce determination to win came back. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba, no St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I, have, that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bar and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at a low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. So that's where we're going to stop for the first part of the meeting. We're going to start asking our questions. You got the questions tonight? Sure. I'll run around the, par the, the microphone. You got this on the, between the paragraphs open for questions, correct? Yes, sir. You got that, great. So let's start up. Oh, we should wait for Ryan to come back. He always likes to start. But we're not going to. Hi. Hey. So should I ask the question? Yeah, we're going to go. We just like before, ask all the questions. And between paragraphs, we open up for comments. All right. So this is Hi. the paragraph, uh, the first full paragraph on page three. 
Did this adventure lead to great success for Bill? Two sentences. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. Boom. Were people impressed with Bill's judgment? My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. What period does this cover? The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. How was drinking fitting into Bill's life? Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. And we got a note here that says skip the next three sentences. So Barry, if you would just read those next three sentences. Sure thing. Um, there, was, <laughs> there was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. Yeah. And that was the last question. Was MS. Bill successful in making friends? I made a host of fair weather friends, he says. So this is uh, open for comment. We're going to go paragraph by paragraph. Does anyone have experience with this paragraph on page three in Bill's story? Anybody know what it feels like to arrive? Yeah, Todd. Todd knows what it feels oh. like to arrive. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. Hi. So let's hear. Uh, let's we get to share about that on. now. You got the microphone. Hold the microphone. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Man, I don't want to. Sh- that's, I just uh, thought I'd raise my hand. I just I had a point where I felt like I had <clears throat> like done something with myself and been successful. Um, that's it. I I somehow didn't manage to completely throw it away through probably luck, but uh, there was a point where I felt I hate talking about myself, but I I worked really hard and I was able to you know achieve a few things and feel successful. This is actually the first time I've ever said it out loud in my life. But, um, you know, I definitely put that in big jeopardy in my life. And, uh, you know, I saw through other people in this group who have really lost more than I have and really helped me. I hate to say that, but, you know, through other people's troubles. But I think that's sort of how we bounce off each other. But, uh, you know, I can definitely relate to this because I, I feel like I lost a lot of things. Personally, I lost a lot of things, you know, from a business standpoint and, I somehow was able to uh, hang on to things, but, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. There was that time when it worked. You know, I was I was going to the clubs. I was a circuit bartender. I was selling. You know, I'm going to all the parties, and I had arrived to the life that I thought I needed and wanted. So, yeah, absolutely. Anybody else sharing that time when it all worked? All right, we got Mike S. Starting with the first question of the next paragraph. How often was Bill drinking? My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. Note, did you drink that way? What did Bill's friends think of his drinking? Sir? The resistance of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. Note, did you lose friends because of your drinking? Was Bill's relationship with Lois going well? There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. Note, did your drinking cause someone discontent in your family? Was Bill faithful to Lois? There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. Uh, Go ahead and read the next sentence too, please. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife. Helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. Thanks. Anybody have experience with this paragraph? Anybody have experience with loyalty at times helped by extreme drunkenness while you're <laughs> drinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the part, the remonstrance of my friends terminated in a row, 
and I became a lone wolf. Terminated in a row is the way you pronounce that. And Bill was a, a fisticuffs. He got drunk and he got far argumentative. He once had been the toast of Wall Street, and he stopped being that when he started being drunken and obnoxious, showing up at people's houses unannounced, behaving inappropriately, stopped being invited to people's houses, and just sat at home like me and drank. Starts howling at the moon. So it had worked the previous paragraph, and at the end it stopped. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we got Orion over here. Oh, hi, Ryan. Oh, no, Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm alcoholic. Ryan. Um, and I think he even starts to allude to that in the last paragraph, that last sentence where he says, I made a host of Fairweather friends, and then he goes into saying that, that they terminated in a row. In a row. Um, I, you know, I really I can relate to that because I, I, it just makes me think of when I was in my, my active drinking and using, and, you know, I, I couldn't imagine not going out because I was afraid I was going to miss something. You know, like, and I was so scared that, like, if I wasn't there, like, getting wasted with everybody, like, something monumental was going to happen that I'd have to hear about it the next day and be like, oh, man, like, I wasn't there. Um, but, like, then I think about, like, how, like, all those people that I were hanging out with, you know, like, they were, like, my best friends, you know, like, my rider dies. And then, like, I go to treatment and I never heard from any of them, you know, like, and I'm, a, and, like, now, like, I mean, like, I don't really talk to any of them. And it's just, it just goes to show, like, I mean, like, you know, like, what 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 were they actually around for? Was it like because like we were actually friends, or was it just because you know like it was a good time? I'm someone someone they could go get drunk with, and like that was it, you know. So I mean, it just really makes me think about like what my priorities were then and what my priorities are now. Um, so that's all I got. Thanks for sharing. I'm lucky most of those friends stopped calling me. Actually, <laughs> that's probably why I'm sober today. Did you share? It's amazing how many more friends you have when you're the one buying the drinks, isn't it? <laughs> All right, so should we move on to the next paragraph? Anybody got anything else on that previous paragraph? Let's go. All right. What sporting activity did Bill become interested in? Two sentences. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Did he prove to be better at golf or at drinking? Yet? Liquor caught up with, with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began, I began to be jittery in the morning. No, did you ever feel that way? Had Bill become financially successful? Two sentences. It was... It was fun to Karam. Golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to carry him around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan, of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. Cool. And that was the answer to the question. Did it appear that Bill had the ability to make it happen in his life? We have the next paragraph, but before we move on, does anyone have experience with this paragraph or Walter Hagen or golfing and drinking? Mm. How about the fact that he, he had made so much money that he had absolutely no interest in showing up to the office anymore because they were holding him accountable for showing up drunk. He didn't want to be held accountable, so he goes into a sport where there's no accountability at all. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. It's to say he's writing fat checks. He's based, like, who won the lotto in a run, you know, or... I found my mom's <laughs> checking the book a couple of times, you know? <laughs> so when you, know, when you have no adult supervision, you drink a lot. Yeah. So. And there's a, my friend of mine has a recovery rock band called Overtaking Walter Hagen. 
So we got the next paragraph. A anything on, more on this paragraph before we move on? Do, do, do. All right. What happened in 1929 that had a great impact on the lives of many people? Abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After Is that, that it? Was there a period there? there I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so it says skip the next five sentences. So let's go ahead and have someone read those. Could you next read the next five sentences, sentences please? Yeah. Sure. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled. Fuzzy part. <laughs> okay. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was eight o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of tape which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. Okay. Uh, did it have an impact on Bill? I was finished, and so were many friends. Thanks. How were some reacting to their great losses? Hi. Anybody over here? Are you reading today? How were some reacting to their great losses? The news reported. I went back. Oh, that was discussed. Oh, papers oh, uh, the papers reported. Yeah, here it is. Uh, ah, no. Well, there it is. The papers. There we go. The papers were reported men jumping to death from towers of high finest. Next what, question. What did Bill think about what they had done? You can pass that over. Now we realize where it is here. Yeah. <laughs> that disgusts me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10, since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. Note, what did you do after your great losses? And what was go. his attitude about the great tragedy? That's, well, that's two sentences, and I think we already read that. So Tomorrow uh, was another day as I drank the old first information to came to win back, right? Yeah. How many times have you guys lost everything in your life? You've been kicked out of your house. You've lost your job. Nobody wants to see you again. And what's our solution? I'll show them, go get another drink, go get another bundle, go break into another house, go sleep with another person, and get on with our lives. Did we ever stop and go like, gee, I should stop behaving like this and go to rehab. <laughs> I'm going to go seek God to become a good person. <laughs> no, I'm alive today because every time I went to go commit suicide, guess what I started running out of? Stuff, right? What happens to a real addict alcoholic when you start running out of stuff? What becomes the most important thing in life? More. Get more stuff. <laughs> Whether it's a, a bottle, a baggie, or a... My, I drank booze in bags once in a while. <laughs> yep, you got that boxed wine that comes with Next the Next paragraph. Does anybody want to share on that? You know, when the life is over, we need hope, right? And that's what I think one of our greatest attributes the average, you know, they say, oh, you poor alcoholics, you have no willpower. You just, you know, you give up so easily. It's like, you try keeping our lifestyle going, right? You try scoring when you're broke. You try getting drinks when you have no money, right? You try living in a house when you can't get deposits, you know? We, gosh, it took a lot of energy for me to keep going. There's a concept that says a job to be a bum. It's a job to be a bum. Mm. Yeah. Next so paragraph, I guess. Next paragraph, where did he go for another chance? Two sentences. Do you want to do that one? Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He, he had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. Was he successful there? By the following spring, we were living in our custom lifestyle. Who was it you felt like two sentences? Oh, 
was. I felt like, yeah. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. And you can one ask another question there? since we're over here. That, that, was, that was a two-sentence one, so I felt like Napoleon. And oh, then I, yeah, yeah, yes, please. Okay, no St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again. My generous friend had, let, had to let me go. This time we stay broke. So Bill lost everything in the crash, and guess what he blamed it on? The crash. He blamed on everything but his drinking. At that point in time, Bill did not have a drinking problem. He had a living problem. Everyone was broke. Everybody was having a hard time. And then he goes to Canada, and the only thing that he can blame his life on is his drinking. He gets kicked out of these people's home, probably for his drinking behavior. Mm-hmm. So he can't blame anybody anymore. This is it's time for him. And we like to say this is uh, Bill starts crossing the line. This is probably one of his first physical first physical consequences from his alcohol that he has, can't blame on anybody else. And he's a little, a little grandiose, too, right? He's comparing himself to the emperor of France. <laughs> well, he, he, he survived the great crash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is pretty. That is pretty. Listen, you, how'd you do during the great crash, right? I wasn't, I wasn't this guy was darn successful. Eyes. All right, so we got... Uh, he was the emperor. He did good. Where did he and Lois go then? We went to live with my wife's parents. Ooh. How did he lose... Ooh, right, this guy, the king of Wall Street, the emperor of the finance industry, right? Just millions of dollars, not working. And guess where he ends up? Hmm. On the in-law's couch. How did he lose I told job? you that guy was a bum and a loser. <laughs> you know? He's just like, oh, shoot me now. Oh, my God. He's like, rawr, 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 rawr. Is that the mother-in-law? That's the mother-in-law. Okay. Nothing against mother-in-laws. All right. Uh, how did he lose his job? I found a job and then lost it as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. We got a two-part question. How long did he go without gainful employment, and how was he doing with his drinking? Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. Another two-part question. Who supported the family financially, and what was Lois's reward for a hard day's work? My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an, unwel- wait, me- I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. All right. So that was where Bill's associates happy to see him. He was an unwelcome hanger-on, so I guess no. Uh, do, we, do, we, do we have who uh, showed up at your dealer's house when you're broke? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to hang out and see what's going on. Yeah. So, uh, does anyone have experience with that paragraph? All right. No unwelcome hangers on. Well, I don't want to be an unwelcome hanger on to this paragraph. Did you have so your hand up. <laughs> Recovered alcoholic. My name is Barry. Hi, Barry. Um, just want to know in this part of the story, Bill. You know tries a couple of things that we've all, you know, tried. He tries a geographical change. You know, he thinks that moving to a different country is going to help him. He thinks, you know, he doesn't recognize at this point that his problems are going to follow him and they continue to do. And that leads to his first physical bottom after the, the brawl with the taxi driver and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. But Definite alcoholic now, right? Um, I think something else. Uh, worth pointing out is that we got to remember that this is 1939 and not to sound like sexist about it or anything, but like for his wife to be working and him not to be working and him living with his in-laws, that's like not good. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, not that it would be good physical and emotional, anyway, but bottom. like, I mean, like in 1939 time, like for his wife to be working, like that, that he wasn't providing for his family. So, I mean, like he was like, when we say physical bottom, like, I don't, I think that, 
to put it into perspective for what that is. Like, it might not be that big of a deal today to look at that and think anything of it, but back then, like, it was, that was a big deal. Um, so that's all. You know, up to this point, I can say that Bill was dancing just around the line of being pure alcoholic, you know? Problem heavy, hard drinker, oh, maybe alcoholic. Now this is definite full-blown alcoholism, and we're going to see it come to life in this next paragraph, aren't we? We sure are. What had liquor become to Bill? Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It had become a, necess a necessity. You suppose he hid his liquor, maybe lied about his drinking, snuck drinks. Have you ever done any of those things? Moderate drinkers do these kinds of things. And the next question is a two-parter. What was Bill's drinking, and how much was Bill drinking? Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three. Got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would, would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and del delicus delicacy. Delicatessions. That word. How, how did Bill awaken? This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking, shaking violently. Did you ever wake up this way? What did Bill have to do? You didn't share? A tumbler full of gin followed by a half dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. No, did you ever have to do this? This is a two-parter. At this point, did Bill think he had a problem? And what gave Lois hope? Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Yeah, abstinence. That's not sobriety. <laughs> Any comments on this paragraph? All right. So How about this? I would, whoever came across money and paid off the bills, you know, the, he paid the delicatessens and the bars. I'm paying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. This one, and this thing, I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. This guy's in full-blown detox. He's been full-blown, you know, the phenomenon of craving. It's like, you know, dope sick and phenomenon of craving are the, and we get uh, uh, the, the jitters. It's the same thing. That's the body making me so sick that it knows that if it gets me sick enough, I will give in and break into somebody's house and get something. I will go into mom's house and steal her wallet and buy myself another bottle. That's what the jitters do to us. It's just because I know what's the only relief. Going to a meeting? No, because I'm not recovered. It's like get more booze. And look at the stuff he's drinking. Bathtub gin? That's like the crystal meth of booze. This stuff is... <laughs> seriously, this stuff is made from anything they can find under the kitchen sink. You know, bathtub gin is literally made in a bathtub in the bad parts of town and just mixing stuff up and enough to get you to pass out, get you 10, 10 cents and get you out of the house. So, yeah. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. All right, we got a next paragraph here. Did, did things get better for Bill? Two sentences. Gradually. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Note, did things get better for you? And that's, that's its own paragraph. So any comments on this paragraph we just read? And if not, we'll move on to the next question. I think party time's over. Yeah, it sure is. Did things get, okay, that we just did that. Did Bill have another chance in the business world? Then I got a promising business opportunity. What kind of deal did Bill put together? Oh. I'll hold it for you. Stocks were at a low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy... What was his motivation for this deal? 
I was to share generously in the profits. Why did it not prove successful? Then I went on a. Then I went on a. Then I went on a prodigious bend. bender, and that chance vanished. Good. Does anyone know that story, Mike? Mike Chase, you got to know that story, right? Yeah, but let's see if anybody else has got okay. something to say first. All right. Yeah. So that, somebody. This share. part of the whole book is open for comments, conversation. Anything that you learned from the doctor's opinion that perhaps you can bring to light right now? Anything that you heard in the forward to the preferences that you can bring to life to help us understand exactly what's going on in Bill's life right now? Hi. Andre, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Andre. I mean, um, you know, that last paragraph, um, you know, um, he had a promising opportunity. You know, pretty much things were, you know, very, very easy to get a hold of. And, you know, he just took a drink and... He threw it all away. I mean, for me, that's, you know, the story of my life. Um, you know, like I can, this makes me think of one example where, um, you know, I was, uh, my uncle pretty was, uh, you know, like uh, he pretty much had a job waiting for me. All I had to do was show up and pee clean. It's all I had to do. I knew this was coming well in advance. And what did I do the night before? I got so drunk. I ended up going late to the interview I, could, I didn't want to pee in the cup because I knew it was going to be dirty. And I l- ended up losing, you know, a really good job um, just because, you know, I couldn't just control it for one night. And, and, you know, just the obsession just took over. You know, I had no control. You know, I had no option. You know, I just had to drink. And, um, and that, you know, that really that story stands out in my, you know, in my alcoholism, in my life. You know, I know I'm a real alcoholic. There's, you know, I, I don't doubt it at all, you know, um, and that's just one example. I'm going to do a spoiler. Turn to page 24. Read the paragraph that explains why this happens. Why is we got the greatest intentions? Oh, my God, it's going to be so much money. I'm going to have a fun job. I get a car and I get to move to a homestead. This is going to be great, you know? What is the fact? This is the fact for this. I like to call this the untreated fact paragraph. The untreated alcoholic fact paragraph. Um, so in my book, it says, uh, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable, at certain times, to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Yeah, that sounds about right. Does anyone else have experience with, with this or anything to comment on in Bill's story thus far? Oh, good. Um, I'm Grace, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Grace. Um, so the last sentence, um, that I, then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. So I know that um, for a real alcoholic like me, no amount of consequence will get me sober. And conversely, no amount of um, positive benefit of things I could get if I would um, be able to abstain from alcohol, that couldn't inspire um, me to get sober either. I had um, 15 months dry, no program, and I got into Nova Southeastern University's um, pre-dental program with a $100,000 scholarship, and um, I ended up drinking that away. And um, I... uh, was when I was 16, I wanted to stay sober long enough to get my driver's license. And that was going to be about three months, and I didn't even last three days. Um, So these positive things that I could get in sobriety 
they didn't, those didn't even um, inspire me to stop drinking. Definitely not the consequences either, because then I had to drink to deal with the fact that I had consequences. Um, But (laughs) that's just what it reminded me of. I threw um, a lot away. Um, I would, uh, I I would give it all for the second drink, but um, that just reminded me of um, myself. So thanks. Thank you for sharing. Todd, turn to the fourth page of the doctor's opinion and read the major unmanageability box for us. You can give Todd the stick. The box to the upper left. Give him the microphone, all right? Yeah. It's called major unmanageability box. We believe. Yes. We believe. I can't do any worse. This is from the doctor's opinion, by the way. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that, fen- that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon he- things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Yeah. And this, See, this one, is, you got it. Well, this, this next sentence too, the frothy emotional appeal seldom suffice. I mean, like Bill had the chance when everyone was poor, when he was desperate living with his wife's family who was sick to get wealthy and he threw it away. And that's, and that's something that I've definitely experienced. And, and Grace was talking about a little bit too, like having all these good reasons to not drink and those good reasons to not drink don't stop me from drinking. Are you still at the doctor's opinion area? Good. Read the frothy emotion of vehicle. Now, see, Bill's in that position where he's coming home and Lois is just begging him to, to control and get his life together. He's got the nagging in-laws, which he finally drove her to death. You know, she, that whole family died <laughs> off. And, but seriously, what, what, what choice? Did, could they send him to, like, the 12-step house? Could they send him to this meeting? No, it was just like, send him in for a dry out, you know? Send him in for a dry out. So let's find, you know, this is, this is the struggle that the family was having. And this is also what Bill is getting attacked with to try to get his act together. Okay, so uh, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. And that's God. But there's nothing like that in his life right now to even point him in that direction. You know? So the next time you're tired of going to one of them AA meetings or have to go through one of those 11-step meetings and stuff like that, just be grateful because before they didn't have this kind of stuff and Bill had no solution other than to just get eventually locked up. You know? This is a guy who had, had life by the, you know, by the pocketbook. And uh, he lost it all because he eventually succumbed to real alcoholism, full-blown alcoholism. You gonna share anything today? Oh, good. Good reading chair, I like that. <laughs> um, John, recovered alcoholic. Hey, John. Um, so I kind of threw away. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody anybody here knows how hard it is to get into flight school in the Navy. Um, I threw that away because I couldn't pee clean, and I had guaranteed flight school from my recruiter's office from boot camp straight to flight school, like it was guaranteed. And I threw that away. And that was what I always wanted to do. And I still want to do it, but I can't. But I threw that away for drugs and alcohol. So mm-hmm. I can relate to Bill when he says that. 
Uh, so you had time. dreams and aspirations and goals. Yes. But something got in the way. Yes. I wanted yeah. to get high and drunk. Tanisha, do you have anything to share with us tonight? You know, I was going to be a, uh, an, I was going to be an air traffic controller. See, that's cool. <laughs> Lucky for you all, I didn't get that job. <laughs> I couldn't even get a job as a flight attendant. My mom was best friends with the half vice president of Northeast Airlines, which went under from not hiring me. Why they went under? Because they didn't hire Tanisha me. recovered alcoholic. Hey, Tanisha. I relate so much to Bill's story. I'm going to be honest with you, like. As a kid, like, my parents were divorced, so I would travel around. And I would get a taste of, you know, my worst enemy from time to time throughout my travels. I remember my mom actually sending me away because I was starting to hang out with the bad kids. (laughs) But I was the bad kid. (laughs) So I went everywhere they sent me. Uh Right? Geographical change, right? I can't move away from myself. I take myself everywhere I go. So everywhere I go... I'm ending up with the same solution, alcohol. In the sixth grade, um, I got into a car accident, jumped out the car, went straight into middle school, sixth grade, act like nothing happened, hanging out with the high school kids who had OE40s. Okay? This is me in Indiana. Okay? I mean, I I did this. I mean... (laughs) Bill's story, as my, my, my family got sick, it was my disease that got worse. I moved into my sister's house. She went to Dominican Republic to chase after her husband. But she was doing, like, <laughs> so much dry goods a night, you know. And it's so bad because I co-signed her because I couldn't even, you know, actually see what I was doing to myself. And my niece and nephews had to witness all this. And who was there to take care of her kids with me? The dope dealer. You know, it was, this is my family right here. And as they got sicker, like my mom got sicker. Everything happened. I mean, court case after court case for me. Treatment center after treatment center. Court ordered here, court ordered there. Completed this, completed that. But back to the same damn dumb mm, You know, and it was just enough was enough until like, I surrendered, and when I surrendered, it was actually, you know, just the morning of that court date where I had to face the music about me being the mom that I was then, about my own child, and I asked God to show up for me, and he sure did. I could not lie in that courtroom (laughs) that day. That was my blessing. I could not lie. I told the truth. I was just like, I was numb to the fact that I didn't want to even try to cover up the truth anymore. It was too much work. It was too much work trying to keep up with the lies. So right before the judge, she asked me, is any of this not true? It's all true. I need the help. I'm here for it. There's a little bit to my story that shows that I still wanted to do what I wanted to do, but it still proved that, you know, God's will is the the way, <laughs> you know, not my way. And um, that's all through sponsorship, getting a sponsor, you know, going through the steps of this, that's outlined in this very same book. You know, I've had my book for three and a half years. And that shows to me that this stuff works, you know. Um, 
I owe my life to AA. Wait, what's that part in the book where it says this is our only that this we don't even know this is this is our only we don't even know this life is bad or something like that. No, there's that part we don't even. You know, to me, my alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Right. Where, right. Do you, does anybody know where that is? Let's let's read that one real quick. That's Find that uh, one. Doctor's opinion. What That's, page? First, second, third picture of the doctor. First one gets it gets a donut. First one gets that gets two donuts to go home in a package. <laughs> because that's what we're talking about. Bill's life seemed it was his normal one. He didn't see anything wrong in his life. He's doing great. The stock market. Men crashed. and women drink essentially. Oh, let's read that whole. Yeah, let's start that whole thing. That's what I wanted to read actually before that. Yeah. Thanks, Tanisha. Opinion, I'm going to call you Bill. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And that's everyone across the board, addict, alcoholic problem, heavy, hard drinker. If you don't like drinking, you don't like drinking. If you love drinking, you drink. The sensation, yeah. the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they Us. cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their, own, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. What does that sound like? <sighs> Pop. Chug, chug, chug. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass, that well-known, they pass the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. Unfortunately for Bill at this time, that wasn't even a known fact. Are you going to share? Yes. Oh, good. Um, Ryan still and still recovered alcohol. Um, So a line that sticks out to me in this is, um, nevertheless, I still thought that I could control the situation. Um, I like that he says the word situation and not control his drinking. Because I feel like that's what I would do. It wasn't about controlling my drinking or my drugging. It was about controlling the people around me and controlling what people knew and what people didn't know. And if I could manipulate these people or if I could lie to these people or if I could get away with it. It had nothing to do with controlling my drinking or my drugging. I was going to do that regardless. But I needed to control everybody else around me and control what people saw and what people knew. Um, and then I also like where he's talking right after that about like there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Um, I mean, it wasn't really sobriety. It was abstinence. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I wasn't there, but I'm fairly certain it's probably just because he couldn't get a hold afford, of it. He couldn't afford to buy anything. Um, but I remember having a calendar in my room and I, w- I put a mark on this calendar and I was like, I made that solemn oath. I'm never going to use again. And I had a little mark on this calendar. And I'm the only person that knew what that meant. No one knew. I didn't, like, write, like, oh, last time I used drugs on the calendar. Like, I didn't want anybody to know. So, like, I, it was just for me. I put this little mark. And then, like, I would go out and use again. And, like, I wouldn't change it. Oh. Like, I, so, like, not, it didn't even, I wasn't even just manipulating other people and lying to other people. Like, I was just completely delusional myself like you know like i would just lie to myself like because like, it did like i don't i don't even know like the only person that that was deceiving was me so it just it like i know that we talk later on about how we get drunk on a lie and like it's just crazy to me like what my disease would allow me to convince myself of um and then down below that when he talks about you know having this promising business opportunity i mean that was for sure me I got drunk and I got high because I was having a bad day. I got drunk, I got high because I was having a good day. I got drunk, I got high because I was lonely. I got drunk, I got high because I was with people. I, it didn't matter. 
It didn't matter what was going on in my life. It didn't matter who I was with. It didn't matter who I wasn't with. It didn't matter like, if everything was great or if everything sucked. I got drunk and I got high. Like, that was it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop for anything. So that's all I've got. You know, you can, you can take an alcoholic who's in the middle of a mental obsession is active and physical allergies are active, and the wife says, you're going to go out tonight, but you're not going to drink, are you, honey? And he will look at her with the, all the honesty that he can muster and say, I am not going to get drunk tonight. I'm not even going to drink tonight. And he's driving to the church service, you know, to pick up the kids. And he drives by Moe's bar, decides to just stop in and say hi to everybody. And he comes home drunk. If they had hooked him up to a lie detector test when he asked those questions, he would have come up telling the truth. That's how powerful the physical allergy is. That's how powerful the mental obsession is. So everything we've learned in the doctor's opinion we're seeing brought to life here. So when people look at our childhood, our early life, and see all the, all, the, all the dreams we had that no longer we took part of, it's like, why would you give up that dream? It's like, those dreams we didn't give up, they were stolen from us. Yeah. You know, how many people just started drinking and next thing you know, the most important thing in life was just drinking. Like, who went to college, dental school, sport careers, all these things that we have that were ripped and stolen from us because of this disease. And they don't get it. They think we just, oh, I don't want to do it anymore, you know? No choice whatsoever. It was robbed from us. So that's good for fifth steps, isn't it? Fourth sure steps. Is. I remember I, I was taking a poetry course in college, and the poetry professor was asking me why I didn't write my portfolio of all the poems for the whole semester, because I just didn't do it, because I, I just felt like, you know, doing drinking and other things and she's like what happened mm -hmm. i had shown such promise as a poet but it was it was not to be it was that was stolen from me and i'm, I'm serious being serious it's silly but yeah. she actually she was they don't get it i respected yeah you had such potential you were so good at this you just had whoever heard <laughs> that my my credit not credit cards my my um i never had those in junior high but what are those things uh report cards consistently every teacher every year if you only applied yourself to positive directions or if you only like stayed focused and it's like no i had one thing to do to become the best bartender in this high school ever had <laughs> so we're gonna wrap up um great news next week bill suddenly gets sober Oh, God, no, he doesn't. We got a few more weeks. <laughs> no, no. We got a few more weeks of him trying, and it ain't going to work. Uh, thank you guys for showing up tonight. We'll see you guys. I know you got that time to get back home. Let's hope to see you next week. Everybody else stick around because we're going to start closing up. We're going to do some medallions and stuff like that. So um, I'd like to thank everybody for sharing. I like this new format. It's starting to kick up a little bit. Yeah. So let's give a, thing, a really great applause for James. He's just happy he doesn't have to do it again for another six months. <laughs> From a vision for you, page 164, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Also, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Ooh, excuse me. Donut. Um, clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy recovery. It is the practice of the destiny. 
It's the practice of the gotcha. Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Is, and does anyone have a new If you're sponsor? a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't have to be a member of this group, but if you want to introduce your new sponsees to the family in the world of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is the place to do it. You get a spotlight and you get a medallion. Anybody into that tonight? No, guess not. So, is anyone celebrating a year or more of continuous sobriety that would like a medallion? For this week or next week or anything? Good. Well, if you've got one coming up, let us know. Speaking of that, this Thursday, we will not be having uh, our Alcoholics and God because of the Thanksgiving Day extravaganzas going on around town. If you find yourself um, needing meetings and fellowships and perhaps some free, really good food, the 12-step house has food throughout the day, 101 Club. I know Lambda's got the buffet from heaven. <laughs> Magnificent buffet food at Lambda over there and then perhaps at the Pride Center, too. Don't be alone on Thanksgiving. Call somebody up. Better, for, better yet, call somebody who you think might be alone and invite them over to your house because this is a rough day to, to be alone. Getting out of self. Yeah. Is anyone in need of a big book sponsor? Anybody or, flying sponsorless? Anyone need a sponsor? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. If you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out our membership card, which is hidden in the... Membership card, yeah, hiding box. Can all home group members please raise your hands? Everyone that's going to stick around to help us clean up. We'll see you right afterward. Um, thank you for joining us tonight. Hope to see you next week. Remember, two Thursdays we're going to have Pat R. wrapping up. Pat's got four more sessions in December, so we're going to have a great time with him. And starting January 2nd-ish, whatever date that is, we got Doc H. from Hollanday, Hollandays, Hollandale, Hollandale. Um, and uh, he's also from originally from Miami. He, this guy's going to be the hoot. He's going to bring the house down with fire. Pardon? January. January 2nd. We're breaking out the new year. Um, and that's 715 downstairs. Did you have something to say to everyone tonight that yeah. you discovered? Thoughts and prayers go out to Rob, Robert, and his family. Uh, they are experiencing some illnesses, so let's keep, us, keep them in our prayers. They're playing ping pong with the flu. Boom, 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 boom. So uh, God bless him. Yeah, he's not locked in my trunk. He's going to be back one of these weeks. <laughs> Believe me, I'll be down there soon, hopefully. Um, so let's all wait 75 feet away from the doors before you smoke. But you, who's a vapor? You, as, if you're in a good spiritual, emotional space, vapors can go out on the porch, the balcony. It's only three floors. You'll only twist your ankle. It's a safe place out there to vape and to get you back in or helping to close down, right? That's right. Should we close with the Lord's Prayer? I think we should. You want to lead us? Sure. Thanks. Let's have a moment of silence for the still sick and suffering inside and outside of this room, followed by the Lord's Prayer. Who's going to bring us from shame to grace? Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Monday, have a safe, enjoyable vacation, enjoy the flights, the driving, the food. The next OA meeting will be held Friday night at Lambda.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Through the 
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah.